Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it and those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, just before Lucas uh, comes to preach this, I'm just going to pray for him. Uh, We've got a lot to be thankful for. Uh, Father, thank you that you are good and you are faithful. Thank you that even in the middle of the darkest of nights, um, you call us to step out of the boat and walk on the water towards you. Father, thank you that uh, you are faithful, even when it doesn't seem like it. Father, thank you that your word does not uh, return empty. Thank you that we have testimonies um, that, that testify to the fact that you are good and faithful to your children. Thank you that Lucas is standing here this morning. In all seriousness, thank you that he is standing here this morning. Father, we pray as we uh, relish in your goodness that you would speak to us this morning. Father, I pray that his voice and his throat would hold up. Um, I pray, Father, for uh, a supernatural relief from pain for him this morning. And Father, we pray that you would just speak boldly and clearly to our hearts through him. Thank you for the preparation he's made and how you've been with him in the study as he's done this. Uh, Lord, may it be good for us to hear um, from you through Lucas this morning. We love you, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, it's good uh, to be with you for those of you that I know, and it's exciting to be here uh, just a few months after launch and seeing people that I don't know. So um, Andrew's already introduced me, so I won't go through all that again, but it's, uh, it's really good to be here with you this morning. And uh, yeah, today's a little bit of a test run, and we'll see how my, my voice does. And uh, the good news is, and Leanne will be happy, is that today should be a little shorter, so uh, normal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I might get halfway through and just be like, so we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Psalm 127, let's jump in. Um, let me just ask you this. How, uh, have you ever been, have you ever begun something, part of, uh, sorry, Part of uh, the symptoms of, of this is I, my, I have no saliva glands at the minute, so I'll unfortunately have to probably drink a lot during this, so I apologize. But, um, have you ever started something, maybe a project, um, and then realized that you've started it incorrectly and had to start over again? Um, anybody ever put together IKEA furniture? <laughs> I had a bookcase, like a big bookcase, and uh, I, I remember putting it together it's the one that's in the office at, at Village at the minute. And um, there's like the center spine that kind of holds it all together. And I was putting it together on the floor. And I'm pretty good with instructions. I had it all laid out. I'm not the kind of guy that's like, I don't need instructions. Like I had them all lined out. I had the instructions. I'm going to follow the plan. But I had that one thing backwards. And I got it all done. And as I go to lift it up, I realize now it's, it, it won't sit. It's all wonky because I, I put it on backwards. And Ikea furniture is easy to put together. It's really hard to take apart. <laughs> they don't, you know, so, but I had to take the whole thing apart again. I had to start, start all over again, and it was frustrating, right? Uh, it's the same in cooking. If you don't have like your initial base ingredients right, um, you just have to start over. You, it doesn't matter how much more seasoning. and You, you put a, a cup of salt instead of a teaspoon of salt, and you just have to start over. 
Same with, with building. If you don't have your foundation just right, um, whatever you put on top of that foundation isn't going to stand. Um, and our psalm this morning really is, is going to be about uh, this. How do we build? How do we progress through life in such a way um, that we're doing that, we're, we're not making shipwreck of what's happening? Um, this psalm was written by Solomon, which is interesting because he's inspired by God when he writes these words. Yet if you look to the end of Solomon's life, you'll find that his building, both literal and figurative, uh, the building that he built was a temple, and this is a, a psalm of ascent. We'll get to that in a second. They're heading to the temple to worship. But at the end of his, his life, his kingdom, both literal and figurative, becomes reckless. It's, it, it ends up in ruin. Um, his marriages become this disastrous denial of God. Um, and this is because Solomon, in the end, ignores his own words. He stops depending on God. He stops seeking um, God's face alone in all of you did. He, he starts off well um, as this man of great wisdom, um, and he writes this wisdom for us. Um, and so it, it's important for us this morning that we heed these words. Um, Solomon let other gods, other concerns come between him and the Lord. And uh, the record that we have of his life doesn't seem to end very well. Um, there's some gaps that are there, but we're not really sure. What we do know uh, of Solomon is that he didn't heed his own, um, his own advice. Um, just to, as, a, as a refresher, as a reminder, um, these are pilgrim songs. These are uh, a psalm of ascent. These are the, uh, the people of Israel, God's people, are on this journey. They're going to Israel. They're, they're going, ascending up to Zion. They're making uh, this long trek. Um, and they're doing this for one reason. They are coming together to gather for worship. And the Lord is instructing them to gather together as the people of God for these annual worship feasts. And these faithful ones obey him in that. They bring their entire household. No doubt you'd have entire kind of villages and households that would be traveling together. Um, and they are making their way on this journey to Zion where the temple was, where the dwelling place of God was. And they're going to worship him. And so these are worshipful pilgrims. Um, and, and this is part of the wisdom literature that we have in the Old Testament. Um, and this wisdom literature, like this psalm, um, is so important to the people of God in the Old Testament because their faithfulness to God in everyday life and vitality and their worship of God go together. For them, it wasn't a separated thing. Their faithfulness to God and just how they lived out their life, the decisions that they made, how they would order and structure their life, the rhythms that they would have, these, these uh, traditions as part of annual feasts and things like that, were vital to and connected to their worship of God. Um, for us, a lot of times we can kind of separate these things, don't we? We kind of have our life and how we make our decisions and how we go about things and, and our, our, uh, our jobs, our families, um, our, our career paths that we might have, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations ahead of us. And then we kind of have, you know, our, our religious life, our church life. And so, you know, we go to church on Sundays or we might go to a Bible study or whatever. The, but a lot of times these things, you know, are kind of bifurcated out from um, one another. Um, and that just wouldn't have made sense at all for, the, for, the, for God's people, for, for the Israelites. Um, and as we see God making new covenants into the New Testament, it really shouldn't make any sense for us to live that way as well. Um, which is really the whole kind of point and remembrance of this psalm this morning. Faithfulness to God in everyday life, walking in his ways and not ours. Um, if you want to do that, you need this wisdom literature of the scriptures. 
We need his instructions on how we live, on how we work uh, uh, out our lives. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, how faithfulness to his ways is so connected to their vitality in worship. Um, And so for us, we want to put into practice uh, what it actually means to walk out our faith. Um, And Psalm 127 is going to give us some really foundational base uh, instructions for us today. Um, Our next series, when we're done with the Psalms of Ascent, we'll be moving into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We actually were hoping to get to that sooner and then cancer and all of that kind of uh, God and his providence has, has bumped that. But we're hoping to start uh, that series in March. And I'm excited about that because um, it's very practical stuff. It'll, it'll lead us into how do, what does it actually mean to practice the way of Jesus? What does it actually look like to follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in real tangible ways um, that we get to actually walk this stuff out? Um, and so this morning's psalm really is, is setting us up, I think, well for, uh, well for that um, this morning. Um, one of the most important features of this psalm is that it addresses, I think, three of the most common, um, or three of the most important kind of human concerns that we have. Uh, we're going to see uh, it address accomplishment, right? All of us want to accomplish something. None of us want to get to the end of our lives and be like, yeah, well, didn't really do anything. Didn't really accomplish much, right? All of us want to have something that we can look back on in our life and, and be proud of, some kind of a legacy. Um, um, issues of security, Right? All of, us want to, all of us want to have some security. None of us like to feel vulnerable. We like to look into our bank account and go, okay, there's enough there. I'm not going to, you know, I can pay my bills. I'm going to be okay. I have a safe place to live. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go hungry. These are just basic needs of kind of uh, security, um, safety. And then it's going to address family life as well. Um, that we, all of us, whether your parents or not, want to be a part of uh, a family of some kind, Right? And so this psalm is going to force us to examine these areas, recognize the one who's really in control of all three. And I hope disavow us of this disillusionment that we are in control of any of these things. Um, And in addition, this psalm is going to speak to our need for utter reliance and trust in God. That's really the challenge this morning, is where are we putting our utter reliance and trust in? And in that, we really have to remain humble this morning. Um, And so let's dive in here. So um, in in whatever we do, whatever it is before we begin it, you must think about what you want to accomplish and then carefully and thoughtfully um, begin that out. Um, Just like building your Ikea furniture or uh, my daughter and I uh, were talking this morning. She's at a point where she's having to figure out GCSEs. And so then you have to start to think about what do I, what am I going to do with my life? Uh, What what is the plan here? What what path am I going to start to go down? these important kind of things that we think about. Um, And the psalmist this morning um, in 127 is going to challenge us that we have to build our lives in all areas with God, because of God, and for God. Um, Imagine the scene. These pilgrims are ascending up to Zion. And as you're imagining the scene, um, they're they're moving toward the temple. But I don't want you to think about a normal building Um, that just kind of happens to be the temple. This was arguably, at the time, one of the most impressive buildings in the world. Um, Just jaw-droppingly beautiful doors, walls overlaid with gold, jewels, purple, uh, blue, crimson linen, these uh, uh, um, carvings of the cherubim, palm trees, flowers. Um, It it, would have just been stunning. Um, But this psalm says that as they're singing, they're making their way up to this place, that apart from God, 
It's just a building. It's just a structure. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's all for nothing unless the Lord. And so those first three words of this psalm are really the, the, the vital keystone of, of what we're, we're talking about. Unless the Lord. So the implication here is that as you go to this place, as we look to Solomon's temple, we don't go and stand there in awe of Solomon. He's saying this wonderful place, unless God is the one who is behind building it, is just meaningless. It's just another building. This isn't about Solomon's greatness. It's about the greatness of the God we serve. And that's true for for us today. This is just a building. Um, This is just a gathering of people, unless the Lord is in it and building it with us. Um, And so the first part of verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain, who build it? So this is speaking of building, of accomplishment, of, creator, uh, of creating. Um, and that makes sense. Man, uh, man, mankind, we as men and women are hardwired to, to these things. We're hardwired to accomplish. We're hardwired to build. We build houses and, and boats and airplanes and satellites. And uh, it's not enough just to even stay on our own planet. We figured, we explored the whole thing and we're like, great, now let's go to, to the moon. Let's go to, there's something in us that is hardwired for us to go. And the reason that that is, is because we are, it's built into our very nature. We are made in the image of God and God is the ultimate creator. And so we create, we build as we do that in his image. And so this Psalm, Psalm 127 at its really core is about being reordering, is about a reordering of our world. Um, it's meant to point this wisdom literature. Um, it calls us to evaluate our life and then to adjust them, to reorder them so that we are walking, that we are creating, that we are accomplishing in the ways of, of the world, uh, in the ways of the Lord. This reordering of our world, this reordering of our life, because you see these themes here all throughout this, this psalm. There's working, there's building, there's security, there's watching over, there's guarding the city, there's caretaking, there's multiplication, there's having children, there's growing families. It's this picture of the human life and how we are progressing through that. All these themes um, really should, as we think about planning out our lives, as we think about how are we creating, how are we moving forward, should really take us back to the very beginning in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.28, God gives this, uh, what theologians would call a, a cultural mandate or a creation mandate for, for humankind. So in Genesis 1, you obviously get the creation story. God is creating and then filling. Um, so he'll speak and he creates something and then he'll fill that space um, as well, which is what you see in this psalm as well. God builds, but he also fills. Um, and then you get to verse 28, and God says this, and God blesses them, that is the man and the woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God creates this Garden of Eden, this beautiful place. He places a man and a woman in this garden, and it's not just, okay, we'll just kick back, and there's the jacuzzi, and hang out. No, he gives them work to, to do. Uh, I, I've now given you this, this space. Now I want you uh, to create culture, uh, to, to actually to cultivate. And not just in an agricultural sense. We see they start making musical instruments. They really start to build out culture, um, which was the plan. That's why we were created. We were created with a cultural creative mandate um, to build, um, to, to move out into creativity. 
um, to subdue the earth, all for God's glory as we are created in his image. And so that's the mandate for you and I. God has placed you in this world for a purpose. Um, and it is, to, um, uh, it is to build, it is to create, it is to cultivate um, for his glory. And he's given us all different talents and ways to do that. And thank God we're not all the same uh, within that. And so he's gifted us and called us all to different things. But all of us are called um, into this work. Um, and so we're called to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have babies, make families, um, and then to bring it under control, dominion. Um, and so it means that we were created to rule over the earth as representatives, as, as these vice regents, as you will, as ambassadors of, of Christ, uh, of God. That's our mandate in the world. And so this is where it brings us back in. There's, there's two ways then that, that you have to build. Um, how will you fill this mandate? And that's the question for us this morning. You either can build it being dependent on God or we build it independent of God. We can choose to do it our, our own way and, and I'll, I'll create whatever I'm, I'm gonna go about. It'll be my ambition. It'll be my, I'll create my own security. Um, I'll, I will you know, raise my own family the way that I see fit to do that. Or we can actually enter into um, God's wisdom um, and what we're going to see, and I, I hope what we see really clearly as we move into the series on the Sermon on the Mount, that it is God's way, if we'll, if we'll actually do this, uh, not apart from the Lord, but unless the Lord builds this house, that that is actually the place that leads us into a place of flourishing. That is the place that actually leads us into a place of deeper joy, into a deeper uh, sense of, uh, of meaning and purpose and identity. It's when we try to do these things apart from God that always leads to death. It always leads to disaster. It always leads to confusion of who we actually are. Our relationships end up broken. And so Psalm 127 is this call for us to reorder our lives under um, who God is. And so to build our lives uh, dependent on God requires a lot of humility. And to do that apart from God involves a lot of pride. But, But rest assured this, if what you build, if what you accomplish is not for the Lord, if it's not for his glory, if it's not by prayer, and given to him, um, this uh, psalm, as well as most of the Bible, and honestly, experience in life will show us, it's all just in vain. Um, if you were um, a part of a village before we planted, the last, the, the last series that we did before we planted Out Village South was a, a series in Ecclesiastes. You can go back and listen to that on our podcast. Um, and, and again, this is almost a, a, an echo and resonance of that. All of these things, apart from God, just end up being uh, in vain. They end up just being, uh, the word that they use there is hevel. It's just this meaninglessness. It's just this chasing after the wind that we never really ever get to catch. Um, It's really for our own glory. It's for our own comfort. In the end, um, the scripture tells us it just kind of burns up like twigs in the fire. It doesn't actually last. There's There's nothing of any meaning that lasts from this life into the next. And when we build apart from God, we build with his prideful heart, um, the Lord says, I'm gonna tear it down. He actually says this in Malachi 1.4. He says, they may build, but I will tear it down. Ultimately, building without God will bring you into frustration, sadness, hopelessness, discouragement, because we were not created to fulfill that mandate, that cultural mandate. You're wired to do that, but you're not equipped to do that on your own. We were made to do that in partnership, empowered by, 
um, the Lord himself. Um, Psalm 127 really is alerting us to this temptation to shift our focal point off of God, off of representing him, off of working for his glory, and to do that by our own strength and for our own um, glory. But he says that life is vain apart from the Lord. Unless the Lord builds a house, you can achieve, you can labor, you can do all of these things, and it's all for nothing. Um, Now, it's important to note that he's not saying that work is bad. Um, It's not just don't work, there's no point to it. No, work is good, God has given to us. The the work, that cultural mandate was given to us before the fall, before sin entered into the world. Work is good. The Bible begins with God working himself six days. And then he gives Adam a job, right? In Genesis 2, the Lord takes the man, puts him in the garden to work and to keep it. So we're created for work. The difference is it's the toiling that comes into the picture. Our work changes now in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve decide to rebel against God, the nature of their work changes. The work isn't um, a a work that is productive. Uh, It's not a work that is in partnership with God. It's a work that, that now says your work will be toil. Your work will be toilsome and it will be a struggle. It will be with the sweat of your brow that you will now have to accomplish these things. It's, a, it's an incessant labor. It's working our fingers to the bone. <clears throat> we have a picture of this uh, in the scripture, this, this example. Um, if you remember back in Genesis 11, um, the Tower of Babel. Um, and so uh, you have uh, these, uh, this, uh, this community, and this is what they say in Genesis 11. They uh, confer with themselves. This is uh, Genesis 11, 4 and 5. He says, and they said, come, let us build, and listen to the language, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. First skyscraper. Let us make a name for ourselves. Why? Lest we be scattered abroad across the face of the whole earth. And so they're like, okay, we're going to build a city. We're going to build this tower that's, that, that's going to reach to the heavens, this monument to us. Um, we're, going to, we're going to do this for ourselves lest we be scattered. We don't want to be scattered. We want to stay together. We want to be powerful. We want to do all these things. And then in verse 5, but the Lord came down. <laughs> I love, the scripture says, you know, we can make our plans, but the Lord just kind of laughs at them. So they got our plan. This is what we're going to do. Uh, but then the Lord shows up. He comes down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And then in verse eight, so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Hey, we're gonna gather together. We're gonna build a city. We're gonna accomplish all that. Why? So we don't get scattered all over the earth. And then the Lord came down. It was like, yep, you're gonna get scattered all over the earth. And that's it. They, they, they couldn't build anymore. He confuses them. They can't work together. He frustrates their building. Um, he gives them different languages. Now they can't work together. Their relationships are fractured. It's this beautiful picture of, apart from God, we have all of this. We have these goals for us. It's ours. We're going to do this for ourselves. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And the Lord just comes and frustrates it all. And the, the reason, the very reason that they built to not... We're going to accomplish, 
We're going to keep our family together. We're going to have a sense of security. And God says, no, that's all gone. Because you, didn't, you did it apart from me. The people of the Tower of Babel were full of pride. They didn't build in humility. They didn't build in dependence of God. They sought their own will apart from God. And they build in vain. And so this is a warning to us to be sure that as we build, as we think about our life, as we, as we plan, that we do that according to God's will and his word. And so how? How do you do that? How do you build? Notice the structure of the verse. It's, it's unless the Lord builds the house, so God is building. Those who build it, so there's also us building it. So, so God is building, but, but so are you. We both build. We work with God to accomplish. It is God working through us um, to build these things. Raising children is a great example of that. And so how do you build so that you don't build in vain? Well, we acknowledge that God is the true builder of all things and that we can only build by his grace. There's a humility involved. There's an acknowledgement involved in that. It's not just us uh, creating plans and then running ahead of them. It's us in prayer. It's us in relationship. It's us in community um, as well. That my life is not my own. That I've been bought with a price. And I don't just belong to, to God. I belong to his people as well. And so the decisions that I make in my life just don't impact me or my wife or my kids. They impact other people. And so I bring these things before the Lord. We acknowledge our utter dependence on him. We pray, we bathe all that we do in seeking God's will and his blessing. We remain humble before him and we seek him. One of the things that uh, uh, cancer does is it changes your perspective really quickly on things. <laughs> you, uh, you realize very quickly that uh, you're not in control of anything. Um, it's, a, it's a sharp awareness um, that you're dependent uh, on God, um, literally, um, for your life. And that's a great gift to have, honestly. Um, the perspective, not the cancer so much, but, um, but it is. It's a, it's a, I mean, cancer in a lot of ways has been, has been a great gift to me. And, uh, and one of those is that perspective of I'm not really in control of anything um, and my utter dependence on him. But you know what? Being in that place, uh, being in that place of having to just depend on the Lord literally day by day for physical strength, um, for mental <laughs> um, abilities, uh, for emotional um, strength, all the things that, uh, that we just kind of normally take for granted when those things are working fine. Um, it, is, it, it is, it's such a gift to, to know that uh, the Lord holds all of those things um, and he holds them way better than I ever could. Um, and ultimately in the end, that's, that's uh, who you want to be holding those things. And so as we think about building out these foundations, there's really only two foundations that you can build on, a godly one and an ungodly one. And so which one are you building your life on in the moment? Are you basing everything on the cross of Christ, on God's grace? Are we relying on that? Are we actually depending on God and seeking his will? Moment by moment, as we go through our days, um, that's part of this gift. I think I had, a, I think I had more of like a, a, a macro sense of that in my life. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to seek the Lord and, and follow him. But cancer, man, brought that down to like moment by moment reliance on the Lord. Like, 
hour by hour, minute by minute um, in that. It just made everything so much more, and still does, makes, makes everything so much more acute um, within that. Are we seeking and working and accomplishing for his glory? Or do we only, do we only occasionally consider God in our work? Do we only occasionally lift up our, our occupation to him, um, our ambitions for him? And here's the thing about um, when we work with and for the Lord. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 11, it's just this invitation. He says, come to me all who labor. This is the same word here that we are laboring in vain. He says, if you'll come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Our work when we work with the Lord actually is a restful, renewing kind of work. He says, take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me. This is what we want to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, um, this yoke refers to a body of teaching that rabbis would pass on. And he says, if my, my ways, if you'll practice and follow the ways of Jesus, it is a way of rest. Um, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God even gives us the example of rest in Genesis 2. God works for seven days, and then he rests on the seventh. And he says, he says that for us as well. Work, but in the proper way. Work for my glory. Work for my strength. And you'll have rest and sleep and not eat the, the anxious uh, uh, toil, the bread of anxious toil. You see the difference? When we work in vain, verse 2, you rise up early, you go to bed late, eating the, the bread of anxious toil. That bread's no good. That's stale, crusty, old, janky bread. It's just, it, it, you, know, you just have to work through that. It's this anxiousness. You go to bed anxious, and you go to bed late because you've been trying to figure stuff out on your own. You can't get sleep. We wake up early. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going I'm to go faster. I'm going to go harder. I'm going to crack this thing on my own. And we go, and we go, and we go, and it just leads to anxiety. And Jesus says, listen, if you'll work with me, my yoke is easy. It's light. And you'll actually find deep rest. What does he say in verse three? For he gives to his beloved sleep. You're either dependent on God or we're not. We're either humble before the Lord or we're prideful before the Lord. And scripture calls us not to be lukewarm, be hot or be cold, be in or be out. And so both you and God can build. We work, we work and accomplish. Whatever it might be, whether we work at home um, in the workplace, or even in our very heart where God works miracles. But for the Lord to build a house, it means that we trust him, that we're patient, we yield to his will, to his timing. And I know those, these things sound very easy, but in those moments, it's hard and difficult, isn't it? It's hard. For me, the hardest part of trusting the Lord is unknown. If I know something's gonna be hard, that's easier for me to, that's easy for me to go, okay, this is gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult, but I know what it is. For me, it's the unknown. And, and to be patient and to wait for the filling and the unfolding to take place, to yield to his will and to his timing. Um, it's a prayer that we pray often at Village and the leadership team. Lord, um, impose your will on us. Impose your timing on us. Um, like Moses, don't let us go somewhere else if your presence isn't coming with us. We want to be where you are. <laughs> Even as we do ministry, we recognize who God is. Why do we do that? 
It's because God really is the true builder. You and I, as, if we see us, our, ourselves as a true builder, it's in vain. It doesn't, it doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't, it doesn't actually accomplish anything. It's God who's the true builder. Um, and this isn't just now in, in the moment. This is in the grand scheme of things, right? John 14, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't eat the, the anxious bread. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Ultimately, the house that we build will not stand. And the house that the Lord builds will stand forever. And so we work in light of that. What we do now, um, we do in light of what God has already accomplished um, in our future uh, promised glory. And ultimately, the house that we build pales in comparison to what God is building. And this is true for us as a church too, isn't it? And especially important for us as, uh, at South here as a church plant. Um, and it's important for us to remember in East, even though we feel more of an established church, the temptation there is to be like, oh, good. All right, God, you got us up and running. Cool, we're good to go now. And I, the thing I love about uh, the beginning days of a church plan like here is, is it's, you have to depend on the Lord. It's, it's really, really obvious. Um, Jesus makes this promise. He says, I will build my church. And, and that's why we plant in confidence. Well, Jesus, you promised that you would do it. And so let's, let's do it. We want to step in, out in obedience with you. Yes, we work. Yes, we obey. Yes, we build. There's work to be done. We just don't sit around and miraculously things just pop out of air. God um, gives us the work to do, but we do it through his strength. We build as instruments in his hand. We're the hammer, not the hand that holds the hammer. Does that make sense? We're, We're the instruments. He's the builder. And where we get confused is we think we're the builder holding instruments in our hands, and we're not. We're We're the tools. And so we work, but we work dependent on him and not independent from him. The second part of that verse, uh, verse one says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Here we move into security, safety, protection, but it's the Lord who makes secure. In the ancient cities, there were guards who would patrol at night. They would watch for enemies trying to attack unexpectedly. They would live in these walled cities. And Israel had been at war with many nations. Their security as a nation was always a little, you know, threatened. And as individuals, you know, there was very real and important concern. And that's true for us as well. Our nation might not feel like we're under attack. um, But we're told very clearly that Satan prowls looking to see who he can devour. Our war might not be with flesh and blood. And it might come to that someday. I mean, we have brothers and sisters in the world who it is flesh and blood, like they are being killed for their faith. They are being imprisoned for their faith. But for us here, at least at this time, it's not with flesh and blood, but make no mistake, Satan is looking for opportunities. And so we trust in the true watchman. Jesus is the true watchman. In John 10, he says this. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
Um, what they would do, uh, shepherds during this time, uh, at night they would pen up their sheep um, and the shepherd would literally lay across the opening as the door. Um, so to get to the sheep, you had to pass through the shepherd uh, and likewise. He would be their literal door of security for that. And Jesus says, that's who I am. I, I'm actually your security. I'm actually the one who will keep you safe. I'm the one who you will find salvation in. Jesus is guarding you. He promises us that too, not just in a physical sense, but who our actual peace, right? He says, I'll give you a peace that passes your understanding, a supernatural kind of peace if you'll rely on me, if you'll depend on me. And so as we think about accomplishing and building our lives, as we think about security and, and, and all those questions that we have of, of um, safety or uh, you know, bank accounts and all the things that make us feel safe and secure, the things that we want to put in place for ourselves. For the Christian, it's a reliance that the Lord ultimately guides our lives. He ultimately guards our hearts. Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Do you feel that peace this morning? Or do you feel more the anxious toil? Just take a second to evaluate that. Where are you on that spectrum? Rest, easy yoke, a peace that comes from knowing that regardless of my circumstances, regardless of that bank account's not as secure as I want it to be, I don't know exactly where things are at cancer-wise yet because my scan's not until the end of February. Can I still have peace in that or do I have to rely on that? Tenuous relationships with that significant other? Where are you internally this morning? Because the invitation here is that you can have the peace of God which surpasses your understanding and comprehension of that. It's a supernatural from outside of us peace given to us through the Holy Spirit and it'll guard your hearts and mind in Christ. It doesn't mean all those things resolve themselves. It just means we're able to live through the power of Christ in his presence in crazy circumstances and still be able to do that with a supernatural kind of peace. And what a witness that is, right? When, when you're in the same kind of crazy circumstances that everybody else is, and everybody else's life seems to be falling apart and losing their mind, and you can have this peace, what a witness to the power of who God actually is in our life. And that should be us as the people of God. There should be a deep sighting of peace and joy, regardless of what our circumstances are. And again, I've just, just found that to be true. There's, no, there's nothing in me that <laughs> over the last four or five months um, should have been able to, I think, stay as calm as the Lord has, has, has allowed me to. And I say that, that that's actually true. Like it, the Lord has allowed me and empowered me to do that. And, and, on, and honestly, I think it's because of so many of, of people praying for me. There have been times where I'm like, I am out of resources myself. I'm done. Like, I, I don't... I literally don't have any more resources physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I'm done. And yet, the Lord sustained me through those things and gave me peace and gave me his presence. And that's on offer for all of us. 
Verse 2 speaks of this uselessness of rising up early, staying up late. Again, it doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to work hard or diligently. The Bible talks about that clearly. We should work hard. We should work diligently. But it's this attitude that, you know, of, a, of a workaholic. I can accomplish things on my own. And yes, you, you build. Yes, you want to keep what you produce. But we recognize humbly that God is the one who ultimately keeps us safe and secure. That there's a need for us to rest and to rest in him as a sign of faith in him. We'll talk about this more in Sermon on the Mount, this idea of Sabbath. And, and really, Sabbath is rebellion. <laughs> that one day a week, we stop being productive. We put down tools. And that's an admission that I don't need to keep producing all the time. I can actually stop one day a week following the pattern of God and rest. It's this admission that we are relying on him. And that means that we, we trust him with our lives, our family, our future, and there's two ways to translate the second part of this verse, right? Um, for he gives to his beloved sleep. One, um, it, it can be translated for he, he literally gives us, he gives us sleep. Um, he gives us rest, and that's a blessing for him. Uh, another way it can be translated is for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Uh, if it's translated this way, then it means that God is the one who's providing for us even while we're sleeping. So even while we're resting, even while we're not working, God is at work and provides for us. I actually think it's, it's I think the meaning is a, a, a dual meaning there. I think it's both of those things. That it's okay to rest. It's okay to stop. That God is still working in our rest. It doesn't, your, what you accomplish, your life isn't 100% dependent on you. What a great um, pressure that is to, that, that uh, takes off of us. And then in verse four, he moves in um, uh, to, to this idea of blessing us. Uh, sorry, in verse three. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb as a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So children are a gift. They're this heritage or an inheritance of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is, is of the Lord. So we have this idea of family, accomplishment, security, family. All of these things, especially you know, for us in the West, do you see how these are all good things, right? Hey, accomplishing work, building, uh, legacy, good thing. Um, being secure, safe, being able to provide, that's a good thing. Your family, um, is a good thing. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a reward. It's an inheritance. Um, but like anything, we can take good things and reorder them into bad things, right? We can take these things and make idols out of them um, where we'll prioritize all of these things over and against who the Lord is. And so my kids are, are now my priority, right? And so kids get involved in, in, in their dreams and, you know, instead of... Um, being involved in community life and faith. We're going to go do sports. We're going to do, you know, it, it, all these other things start to usurp um, actually our life and community with God together. And so this is this call. Unless the Lord is involved in all of these things, it's just going to all be in vain. Your family, your kids, all, it's, it's all going to be frustrated. It's all going to be um, toil. The Lord blesses his people with children 
And so he blesses our homes. Also, he's the one um, who we should be asking to protect our families, to keep them safe, secure. They're a gift. It's important for us to remember that all life is a gift, isn't it? All of it. This idea that they're a heritage, this word for inheritance, like the promised land that the the people of uh, of Israel would inherit, was a gift from the Lord. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, where society is rightly ordered, children are regarded, not as an encumbrance, but as an inheritance. They are received with, uh, not with regret, but with reward. Now, let me ask you, does that, do you think that describes our society today? No. Less and less so. Children more seem to be an encumbrance they're, not, they're kind of received with regret, right? And so we create laws that if you don't want a kid, you can kill it. <laughs> it's an inconvenience. It was a mistake. I didn't mean to. So we'll just get rid of it. They're not seen as valuable. They're not seen as a reward. They're seen as a, a nuisance. It's kind of crazy. And even when we think about even taking care of elderly people, you start to get in, eh, that's kind of a nuisance as well. Let's, you know, let's get euthanasia going and all of this sort of stuff. It's kind of crazy to think that, you know, 100 years from now, our legacy as Christians, as people of faith, might just be that we don't kill our kids. We don't kill our old people. Which is just bonkers, isn't it? To think that it's something that simple. But for us, we understand that life is a gift from, from the Lord. And listen, there's grace upon grace um, for us when we make those mistakes. When, if, we've, if we've disregarded life in the past, there's grace and forgiveness and mercy um, that God extends to us as well. Praise God. But the people of Israel would have understood this verse maybe in a little more nuanced way. The children were a blessing but they were a blessing in, in, in lots of different ways, not just in general, but they also represented the hope of the continuation of human race. Obviously, we stop having kids, we're gonna go extinct, that's obvious. But children also represented the hope of the continuation of a certain family name for them as well. And so we have kids to carry on your name, your history, your story. For them, it would have been uh, the hope of the continuation of, of them as a nation, as a people of God. And I think all that makes sense, right? Have kids, human flourishing, family, names go on, nations are strengthened. But for Israel, there would have been another kind of hope and blessing the children brought that they would have thought of when they sung this line. Because for them, children represented the hope of the promised Redeemer, the promised Messiah. It would have brought them back to Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and her seed. You shall bruise his heel and you shall bruise his head. And there's this promise that's made that there would be a deliverer born out of the people of God who would deliver them. Imagine being a part, we as Gentiles don't think of that. Imagine being a part of that every time a child is born. Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the Messiah?
And so God gives us life. But he also gives us eternal life. But it's for those that recognize the first three words of this passage. Unless the Lord. It's a recognition of his sovereignty. It's a, which is a recognition then of our need and dependence. Which as human beings, apart from God, is uh, we don't like that. I don't, I don't like to admit that I'm weak. I don't like to admit that I'm needy. I don't like to admit that I'm dependent on something outside of myself. And yet that is the sweet spot for the Christian. Because we recognize that apart from the Lord, everything's in vain. All of my toil, all of my effort, all of my building, all of my accomplishments, at the end, even if they're recognized as amazing and mighty in, in, in this life, in the end, you can't take it with you. A hundred years from now, who will remember that? So the psalm calls us to recognize and acknowledge that God is the true builder. That all you do must be done in an attitude of humble dependence on him. It calls us to look to God for our security. It calls us to trust God for our safety, safety of our family, our children. To recognize that God blesses his people with children. That they're his children. We just steward those, right? Um, when we have kids here, we dedicate them to the Lord. This, this admission that, Father, this, these kids are yours ultimately. I'm just here to, to, to steward them on your behalf, to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It calls on our dependence upon God as Christians not to produce vain effort, that we will Sabbath, that we will recognize that ultimately our work and our rest is in Christ. And on that last day of judgment, when the Lord sees all, judges all, all the secrets of men and women, when all of our accomplishments have to kind of pass through this fire of purification, this metaphor that the scripture uses, how many of those come through the end? How much of it just kind of burns up as like hay and stubble? It didn't really kind of make it through the fire. What comes out the other end? Like nothing, because it, it was all for us. It was all by us. It was all in our strength. It was all for our purposes. What scripture says comes through the other end. It passes through that, that refining fire, this gold that comes out on the other side. For all the things that we were doing and building with the Lord, for his purposes, for his plans, for his glory, not in our own strength. Now, now here's the thing, because we can get tricked into thinking, uh, all the stuff that I enjoyed and actually loved got burnt up. And so all this stuff's the bummer stuff that I just had to kind of like slug through life for. And that's that, but that's the lie. That's the lie of Satan, right? This stuff that passes through is actually the stuff that leads us into, into deeper senses of, of joy, into peace, that passes our kind of understanding. This is the life that leads us into this beautiful life of flourishing, and this is the call of Psalm 127. Is there ascending to this house of the Lord, this recognition that unless the Lord does these things, it's all in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's in vain. Unless the Lord fills the house, it's all in vain. It's all for nothing. 
So this morning, just take a second to evaluate that. We get this invitation to pause and say, what am I building my life on? How am I building my life? What's the trajectory of, of, of my life this morning? And am I in the midst of that experiencing peace and joy and purpose, identity within that because of my reliance and building on the foundation that God has given me? Or is it frustration? Is it anxious toil? Is it the sweat of my brow? Is it up early, staying up late, all for nothing because I'm doing this in my own strength? And maybe the goal that I'm shooting for, I haven't even considered to take to the Lord yet. Is this what he has for me? And so the call this morning is that we would build our lives, that we would knit them together with the Lord. Because unless the Lord, unless the Lord. We're going to come to the table as we do every week. One of the great things about taking communion every week is that um, it's this beautiful picture of um, how this all gets accomplished. Right? So when we, uh, we step out and we work, we work to accomplish in confidence because of what Jesus has already worked and accomplished on our behalf, right? And that's namely the ultimate kind of like who you are in Christ. Um, that's you passing through the fire, not your stuff um, in that sense, that we are actually the, the people of God, that we are united to him, that God reconciles us. That, that garden story that we talked about where we rebel against God, we stay disconnected from God. None of this is possible you, you can't work in conjunction with God and have his blessing and seek all of those things unless you're united to God, reconciled back to God through Christ. And how that happens is through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so we break bread representing his body broken for you. We dip it in the wine representing his blood shed for you. And it's through what Jesus accomplishes through his death and resurrection, the ascension back to the Father, It's through this at the very core that allows us then to move out into life with the confidence and security that we are God's people, that he is for us and not against us. So let's stand together. Let me pray for us. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, come to the table. Come with all that anxious toil, all that anxiety, all that frustration. Come and be reminded of who Jesus is, what he has done. And go back to your seat with that light heart, with a renewed sense of moving out, working with and not against, working dependent upon and not independent of um, who God is for us this morning. Father, we love you. And Father, we take great confidence that that you love us this morning. Father, I, I pray that we, through your spirit, would hear and respond to this invitation this morning. Would you convict us in, of areas in our life where we are Uh, operating independent of you, where our ambitions, our dreams, our building um, really hasn't been considered with you or formed through you. Father, I pray that you would help us to really believe and understand uh, that your way is the best way. It really is a way of flourishing. It is a way of peace and rest. 
that this is you calling us away from a life of frustration and toil, of, of vainness. And that doesn't mean that life's always easy, but it certainly means that when life is hard, Father, you are there in the midst of us, that you are providing all that we need. Father, would you help us believe that this morning? We just confess. We believe, but help our unbelief. Father, there's moments where we just, we just jack it all in and do it on our own. Father, rescue us from that this morning. May we see you and your beauty of what you've done for us, even in bread and wine this morning. May we be reminded of that and called back to this life of flourishing. Because unless the Lord, unless you, Father, this is all for nothing. Do it again for us this morning, even, this, even now, Lord.